Good day, folks, and welcome back. My name's Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. This is the On Being Christian podcast. I am also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church, one that we are so happy to have the opportunity to be a part of. And I hope you're doing well. hope you're having a wonderful week. I apologize. I have fallen a little bit behind concerning the regular schedule of uh, of the release of this content. Um, it has been a very, very busy spring so far. And then to add to that kind of very hectic schedule, I actually um, wrecked my truck in a, in a pretty bad way. And I really like that truck. So you know how those things go. It's not just the inconvenience of the actual thing. Everybody's fine. My wife and my children were with me. Everybody's okay. But it eats up a lot of time dealing with all the peripheral issues around something like that. So it's taken some time to get things kind of squared away and going back in the right direction. Um, but I, I'm, I'd like to pump this out and get this done for you today. Um, and as is the case most of the time, um, the On Being Christian podcast is a product of some of the things that I'm thinking about and, and just working through in my own life. And I'm, I'm dealing with a situation right now where someone had asked me the question about being a pastor specifically or why one in the life of someone else is needed, why, why someone needs a pastor. And I had some other, you know, I had some thoughts previously written down and I'd even, I think, preached on it before. But it made me go a little bit deeper this time, just because the person meant a lot to me. And so I want to talk to you today, if you don't mind, about the concept of a pastor's heart. Now, if you are a pastor and uh, and you find this podcast helpful at all, <clears throat> I am by all means open uh, to you getting a hold of me. Some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, if you'd like to get a hold of me through the church here, my cell phone, or excuse me, my office number, as well as my email is at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com, W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. You can get a hold of me directly there. Let me know what your thoughts are on this, or if maybe perhaps I might have missed something, but in the in the interest of keeping it kind of digestible and simple, I came away with three thoughts concerning a pastor's heart. Now, if you're not a pastor, I want you to understand, folks, um, the the value, and I'm speaking as someone who has had a wonderful pastor, still has a, a pastor in my life, who just I would define as an irreplaceable source of wisdom, love, mentorship, friendship, um, but most importantly, godly guidance. So if you don't have one in your life, it's very important. The Bible makes it very clear throughout the doctrine of the Scripture that a person who's accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior is, that's priority number one. Priority number two is to accept uh, the leading of the Lord over your life, the authority of the church over your life through the guidance of a pastor. And so I want to talk to you today about that. <clears throat> I think it's going to be helpful. The first point I want to make, and I usually don't just jump right into the points, but I have three points. I want to talk to you about a pastor's heart. I want to talk to you about where the pastor's joy is. And then I want to end it by talking to you about where is a pastor's fear. So a pastor's heart, a pastor's joy, and a pastor's fear. I, I hope that this is beneficial to you. Let's start by going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17. You'll just simply see a verse that says this, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great joy. Now, I don't know if you know very much about the Bible. If you do, you understand uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians was written by Paul, as a letter of encouragement to the church at Thessalonica. And he's saying here in verse 17 that even though he's not with them, short time, he's, he's, he's taken from them for a short time in presence, it says, not in heart. In fact, he endeavored the more abundantly, the Bible says, to see your face with great desire, not in heart. And so the question that we immediately have an answer to, the question of where is the pastor's heart, well, according to the Bible, the pastor's heart 
is with the people. The word heart here is a word for the thoughts or the feelings, the mind. It's, it's the middle, the seat of affection, if you will. A pastor's heart is with the people that the Lord has entrusted to him. That's where a pastor's heart is. And as a pastor, I can tell you that it's hard for me to put my heart in any other place. Now, there's lots of Bible on this. If we jump over to um, Philippians chapter 1, I'll read 7 through 8. Philippians 1, 7 through 8, the Bible says here, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, this is an interesting verse. Let's define some terms here. In verse 7, it says, uh, Even as meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my heart uh, and my bonds. That word bonds there, it, it's interesting. You look these things up, and sometimes I'll look things up in the Bible, and I'll come away with descriptions and definitions that I'm not sure what to do with. But that word bonds is literally a word that means the ligaments of the body. By implication, it's an, an impediment or a, a disability because of a willing binding. In other words, not only for, for Paul, not only are these folks, now that's, Paul also wrote the letter of uh, Philippians, um, not only are these folks in his heart, his heart's with them, he may be separate from them uh, in, in, in body, he may be separate from them for a time, but in his heart, his heart is with them, and then he goes on even further and he says, I, it's like, a restriction on my body. I miss them and think of them to the point where I'm willingly disabled because of it. I was telling somebody one time, right when I had gotten married, um, my wife and I, uh, she moved into my house. I had this little house, little 900 square foot house, about three blocks away from the church that I grew up in. Um, it had a detached garage, a little corner unit, little yellow house, and um, we got married, and she moved in, and everything was just us, just hanging out, and we did everything together. And I remember going back to work, and for the first four or five, six months of our marriage, I had such a hard time. Coming around 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30 when I was at work, I wanted to go home so bad. I wanted to be with her so much that I physically was uncomfortable. It just, it was an, it was a, a literal physical resolution of a heart issue. I just wanted to be with her so bad. I wanted to be around her um, that I was just about worthless every day after about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's the idea here. It's, it's a bonds. In other words, it, my, I, my love, a pastor's heart is with his people so completely and so thoroughly that when he's not around them, he's almost restricted physically because of his concern and love for them. And you say, well, that's not all pastors. Fine, I understand that. What I'm trying to tell you is this is what a pastor should be from the Bible. This is who a pastor, this is what a pastor is for people who he truly loves. Now, there are lots of people who wear the hat of pastor who are no more a pastor than Hollywood movie stars, but for those people who actually are called of God and fill uh, pulpits and, and roles of responsibility in accordance with the doctrine of the Word of God, who are pastors, those pastors, they're going to love the people. They're going to love people, period, but they're going to love specifically the people that God gave them to minister to, and it's going to be a love that at sometimes restricts them from doing things they have every right to do, but physically they just can't do it because they're in bonds. You also see that word long 
Uh, from chapter uh, 1 of Philippians, verse 7. The Bible says, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace, for God is my record. In other words, he says, God is my witness. God is my record, how greatly I long after you all, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, long, that's a term to, to yearn. It literally means to dote upon, to intensely crave possession, earnest desire. So where is a pastor's heart? Well, a pastor who is a pastor by the calling and grace and mercy and, and power of God, his heart will be with the people who he loves, the people that God gave him to minister to. And it'll be such an overwhelming, powerful thing sometimes that it'll be almost like a willing, accepted, natural form of a disability upon him. He'll, he'll be bound to this. He'll be drawn to this. He'll long towards this uh, to, to, to pray for them, to be with them, to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a pastor. That's why it's so important, folks, that you have a pastor. Someone who lifts your name up to God and someone who brings God through the doctrine of the Word of God to you via preaching. A pastor is an irreplaceable, very valuable commodity in the life of a Christian. And now, you, you have heard, just as I have heard, the idea of people who say, well, I don't need to go to church to serve the Lord. I don't need to go to church to worship God. Well, you might find the Bible has some things to say about that, um, but <clears throat> let me ask you this. Have you ever seen anyone who's an authority unto their own selves get anything done that's worth having? Most people who are effective in any avenue of life are effective within a system that they fall into, whether they're at the bottom of it or the top of it. There's a system, there's, a, there's a, a role that they fill. There's mentors, they are responsible for some and fall under the responsibility of others. You, you understand Christianity is no different. In order for me to serve God, I can only serve him the way the Bible tells me I'm supposed to. I can't listen, God can't tell me what to do and I dismiss it and say, well, Lord, I'm not going to do anything that you told me to do and I'm not going to do anything in the way that you told me to do it but I still want you to accept me exactly how I am and I love you as I define it, not as you define it. Well, folks, you wouldn't accept that from your children. You wouldn't accept that at all. So why would you expect that God would, would accept it from you? If your children came to you and said, listen, Dad, Mom, I love you, um, but I'm not going to obey any of the rules of your house. I'm not going to do anything you tell me to do. And I expect that you're going to be okay with that because you love me. Well, whether or not you love them, and I hope that you do, has nothing to do with the fact that you're not okay with them rejecting your authority over their life. So you understand a Christian must have a pastor, not because the pastor wants it, but because the Bible demands it. The Bible says that God adds to the body such as pleases him, the body being the local New Testament Baptist church. And so when you're placed into a church by the grace of God, you're placed into the oversight of a pastor, not because that pastor is in charge as much as he is responsible for bringing the, the, the revelations of the Bible to you through preaching. That's what God does. That's all throughout the Bible. God speaks to men by men. And so where is a pastor's heart? Well, it's with people, specifically the people that the Lord gave him. Uh, and by the way, this is, this is, there's so much Bible on this. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I usually look these up, um, but I'm using my, my Bible here, and so there's some time when I'm just kind of turning pages and finding the Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 the Bible says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and that we might see, uh, excuse me, uh, and, and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. <laughs> Where's the pastor's heart? Well, two things you see here. He, he exceedingly wants to see your face. And then you see the reason. He says that we might help you perfecting 
that which is lacking in your faith, not in you, but in your faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand a pastor's heart is not towards turning you into something that fits a system that he's designed, but rather in drawing you so close by example and by the spoken word to the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that your faith matures in the Lord, not in him. That's where a pastor's heart is. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll jump over there. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20. The Bible says, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that wherein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul talking again, and if we back it up just a little bit, uh, verse 17, he says, uh, let's see here, verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. And then he talks specifically about his relationship with the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. And he says, where's the pastor's heart? Well, you understand, it's with the people, and, and, and it's also it's with bringing the word of God to the people. And he asked the people to pray for him that he might say nothing more than what, he's ought, what he ought to say, which is specifically in reference to the word of God. He says, I'm an ambassador in bonds. He's held willingly captive by the duty that God placed upon him to reach people for the cause of Christ, specifically in accordance with the word of God, not apart from it. Somebody told me, you know, I'm not really that into religion. I said, good, neither am I. I am very much into what the Bible says. And as a pastor, I am very much interested in restricting my life in whatever way that that requires to bring you what the Word of God says is is demanded by God to you considering the doctrine of His Word, the Bible. That's where a pastor's heart is. A pastor's heart is to bring you the Bible, to help you mature in your faith because He loves you. He loves you, and it's a love that binds him, that restricts him willingly. There's great joy in it, in fact. If you jump over to, um, let's see here, I just want to make sure I'm going in the right place. Philippians chapter 2, verse 26, you'll see this. The Bible says, he longed after you all. Same thing that we saw up in Philippians chapter 1 longed after you all. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 says, I long to see you. Talking about the church, he said, I long to see you. Where's the pastor's heart? It's with the people. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. 2 Timothy 1, 4, the Bible says there, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Now, I want you to work your way backwards through this voice or through this verse. Where's his joy? And this is going to dump us right into our next point. His joy is in that he wants to see those people. He's mindful of the things they're going through, the hardships that they're going through, but he wants to get to them because being with them makes him happy. That's where his heart is. That's where he puts, That's where he's going to pull his joy. But not just from a perspective like you and I might define it. A pastor doesn't want to be with you to be your friend. I'm going to say that again because I want to make it very clear, and I want you to understand the difference that I'm trying to articulate. The pastor is to be a friend, but not be your friend. He's to be your pastor. And so he's not going to love you in the way that you might define it. He's not going to um, lower his relationship with you to that of a back and forth as much as he is going to draw you higher by the grace of God towards the doctrine of the Word of God, uh, specifically applying to your life. A pastor wants you to mature. A pastor wants you to be used of God. A pastor wants to have uh, the freedom given to him by you to show you how great and merciful God's commandments can produce or, or, or 
how God's commandments can produce uh, great mercy in your life. You see, I remember one time when I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was, maybe 15 or 16. I wanted to do something, and I don't, I, like I said, I don't remember what it was, but my mother wouldn't let me. And I, I had this idea that I kind of interpreted in my own head as a bit of a trump card. I looked at her, and I said, Mom, do you know what your problem is? Now, <laughs> that's not a good way to start a conversation with your mother, but she tolerated it for about half a second, and she kind of, because I said it to her back when she was in the kitchen, and she turned around, and she kind of mouthed to herself, this ought to be rich, and she looked at me, and she said, no, son, who lives in my house and uh, has no worries in the world, is provided for and fed and given an education, and uh, you know, no, I don't know what my problem is. Would you help me understand it? Now, I I was kind of a whatever, and I said, you don't trust me, Mom. Now, in my mind, that was like the trump card. I thought she was going to feel bad and give me permission to do whatever it was that I was trying to do. And she kind of crossed her arms and giggled to herself, and she said, of course I don't trust you. And it shocked me. She said, you're a 16-year-old boy. Trust is earned, never given, and you've earned nothing. And I thought... Okay, well, that kind of smarted. And I want you to understand something, folks. A pastor is a valuable resource, not because he is someone that is your friend as you would define it, but he is someone who is your friend because God told him, God put you in his life. He is the one who's going to give an account for you. He loves you. He's going to be your friend if he's the the true man of God that God wants him to be because he he loves you. He's going to tell you the truth. What greater form of a friend would you want? Someone who doesn't tell you the truth and then claims to be your friend? By the way, when someone enables you to do things that you shouldn't be doing or that are in keeping with untruths, that's not a friend. Folks, that's not a friend. Someone who accepts you telling yourself lies about things that aren't true, that's not a friend. You need friends in your life, people who tell you the truth. And if you have a pastor who obeys the word of God and loves you, then you may not always like what he says, but you'll appreciate it. Because he's going to give an account for telling you either the truth or the lies that he speaks. And a pastor who loves you is going to be drawn to you and, and, and desire to be with you and to mature you, not by his own standards, but by the standards of the Word of God, by nothing more and nothing less than the complete, unadulterated, whole counsel of the Word of God. In other words, he's going to tell you the truth. The pastor's heart is with you. In the perfecting of the saints concerning the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the pastor's heart is in the church, and you are the local New Testament Baptist church. You are in that. If you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and by your public profession of that salvation, been baptized by a biblical church, you are in the church, and the pastor's heart is with the church, and thus the pastor's heart is with you. Let's talk about the pastor's joy. We kind of transitioned to that a little bit in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. It says he was greatly desiring to see you. Uh, jump all the way down. It says that, my, uh, that, that I may be filled with joy. If we go back over to kind of where we started in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we could even call that our text, perhaps. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 through 20 the Bible says here, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Where's the pastor's joy? Well, it's in you. You said, well, that was where his heart was. Yeah, yeah, that's where his joy is too. His joy is in you. His joy is in you uh, rejoicing. 
in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the, at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his joy is in you having a relationship with God. That's where the pastor's joy is. You see that word hope here. It says, for what is our hope? Hope is a word that means to anticipate with pleasure. It's uh, to expect or to have an ex- expectation with great confidence. So what is our hope? What is our anticipation with pleasure? What is our joy? Our joy. Joy is a word for cheerfulness. It's calm delight. It's gladness. It's a form of fullness. In other words, he feels incomplete unless he's with you, and then he feels complete. That's the pastor's joy. He goes on to say the word crown, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Crown is a word that it's, it's, uh, it's like the, the picture is to, to twine together or to wreathe together. It's like a, a badge of royalty, uh, more conspicuous than that. It's, it's got a very elaborate meaning. It's, it's, it's not something that you purchase necessarily and wear as a signal or as a sign of status, but something you know, kind of like uh, in um, the original Olympic Games, you would be given a wreath as a crown to mark your accomplishment, and that was something that someone took and braided together. And that's the Bible says that's where a pastor's joy is. You're, you are his crown. You you are braided together with him in the sacrifice and mercy of our of our God, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The crown that he bears, the crown that he wears, the thing that he would put most value in is his relationship and 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 um, his responsibility to you because of what God entrusted him with. That's where a pastor's joy is. It's in you. It's the most you are the most valuable thing in that pastor's heart and that and in that pastor's mind if he's worth his salt. Now, as soon as I say that, folks, I'm not I'm not here to judge whether a pastor is or is or is not a pastor, but here's what I'll tell you. The world is full of people who are wearing that hat who have no love for people, especially in comparison to the love that they have for themselves. When a pastor disobeys the Bible to keep his position, that's not a pastor. When a pastor makes accommodations and excuses to stay in a position of quote-unquote power against what the Bible says is acceptable, against what the Word of God says is right, that's not a pastor, period. I don't care what he says. A pastor can only love you in accordance with how the Bible says he must, in accordance with pure 100% truth. A pastor who does not stand for the truth does not love you. Oh, he might like you just fine, but it takes love to stand for the truth. It takes a pastor's joy is in bringing people to the Lord and watching them have a relationship with God. If you remember back in your mind, when Jesus Christ came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John the Baptist had disciples. And when he saw Jesus Christ, he simply said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And at that moment, many of the disciples of John the Baptist left him and went with Jesus Christ. You realize that's exactly what the pastor's job is, is to point towards the value of Jesus Christ. And I think we live in a society and in a country where we have many quote-unquote pastors who are doing nothing more than pointing towards the value of their own selves, and folks, there is no value in men apart from God. God gives value, especially uh, concerning men in positions of leadership. There's not one thing in my life that would make me able or even trustworthy to be over you except for the fact that God placed you in this church. And then I'm not over you because I'm smarter or whatever adjective you want to use. I'm, I'm to answer for what I say. I'm responsible to God for your growth and your faith. In other words, folks, a good pastor will work himself 
right out of a job. He will work himself into inadequacy. You say, what do you mean by that? Most of the time when the younger generation starts coming up, the older generation feels threatened. Their position feels threatened. And so instead of realizing that the greatest accomplishment that a true leader can have is that those who are coming behind them are much better people than he or she could ever be, they instead hold the next generation back because nobody can take them, uh, take their position away from them. A true pastor loves you. His joy is in you becoming twice, three times, four times, a hundred times the Christian that he could ever be, like a father. A true father who loves his children is thrilled when his children become much better people than he could ever be, much more accomplished people, much more trustworthy and faithful and and dedicated people. A mother who loves her children is not threatened by them when they take over things and become better at things than they are. The opposite side of it is a person who has no joy in you. You understand when someone doesn't love you, they don't take joy in you surpassing their accomplishments. But when someone loves you, you are their joy. You are their crown. Their greatest achievement isn't the things that they gave to the cause. Their greatest achievement is you. You are the thing that they put their heart and soul into. It's you that they love. You're their joy. That's a pastor. A pastor who desires that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ much more close, closely and, and much more important than your relationship with, with him. If you go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, Philippians 4, 1, the Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servant of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Dearly beloved, he says there, dearly beloved, my longed for my hope, my crown, my joy, and he goes on, and you see the same type of thing play out again. He says, this is, this is everything to me. This is my hope, my crown, my joy. I gave myself for them and expect them to be better than I ever could be. That's where a pastor's joy is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 says, We ourselves glory in you. Glory in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14. The Bible says, As ye also have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he says, you're every in, in the day that the Lord Jesus comes back, our accomplishments have nothing to do with anything other than you. People. People. That's what the ministry is all about. And a true pastor will see the advancement of your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ, even if it surpasses his own, which if he's good, it will. He'll see that as his greatest joy, his greatest crown, his greatest accomplishment. If you go to Philippians chapter 1, let's go back over there. Philippians chapter 1, 25 through 26, look what it says there. Uh, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He said, I'm going to come to you. But the goal is that your joy in Christ would be more full, not that you uh, would be so happy to see me. <laughs> and so he says, my, my joy is in drawing you to Christ. And so where is a pastor's heart? Well, a pastor's heart is in you. Where is a pastor's joy? Well, folks, a pastor's joy is in you. It's, it's very much like a father. He, uh, not, not, now, I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Baptist. And so there is a, bur- a Bible verse that says, call uh, this idea that we would call a pastor father, I, I think, is um, misplacement of reverence. I don't believe that that's what the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach that. But the, the idea is very much the same concerning a pastor's heart. Uh, he's going to treat you 
in a way that would make it to where you can become more of a Christian than he ever could be. You're going to become more of a person of faith, more faithful, more, de- more devout to the Word of God, the doctrine of God, more educated in it, more applicable, that you apply it more specifically to your life. These are all these accomplishments that you are having are going to be how a pastor defines his joy. His crown is in your success. His joy is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. His heart is in you, and his joy is in you. You see this same thing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. Let me just jump over there real quick. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9. The Bible says there, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That's that's 4, 9. That's a great verse. Um, not where I wanted to be. Let's jump over to 3, 9. The Bible says, For what thanks can ye render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sake before our God? Where is his joy? Well, it's for you and for your sake before the God of heaven. That's where a pastor's joy is. A pastor's joy is in you, in the upbringing of your spiritual man, in the doctrines and truths of the Word of God. The pastor's joy is in your success, in your relationship with God, and in the advancement of the Christian faith in your personal life. The pastor holds the success of the Word of God in all parts of your life as his greatest joy, his greatest purpose and his crown of achievement. That's a pastor. It's important to have someone in your life who will tell you the truth in such a way that it pushes you to become better than they themselves could even be. A pastor's heart is in you. A pastor's joy is in you. And now I'd like to finish off by taking a look at where a pastor's fear is. I'm going to pivot from 1 Thessalonians concerning it serving as our context. I'm going to pivot over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read 9 through 11, and we're going to see what the Bible might say about a pastor's fear. Galatians 4, starting in verse 9, and I'll read down through verse 11. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Where is a pastor's fear? Well, folks, it's in you. His greatest fear is that you'll reject the Word of God, that you'll reject the God of heaven, that all of the labor that he put into bringing you the Word of God, all the times that he went to the Lord in the privacy of his own place of prayer with your name on his heart, and on his lips, and on his mind, will all be for nothing, because you decide, Lord, I don't want you. So where is a pastor's heart? Well, folks, it's in you. Okay, well, where's his joy? Where's his crown of rejoicing? Well, that's in you too. All right, where's his fear? Well, he f- that's you too. Specifically, the the terror of the thought that you would reject God. He, he, he describes it by saying this. He says, how you turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements. Beggarly is a word, it's like a cringing word for uh, absolute or public nothingness. It's the condition or practice of being a beggar. He says he, he doesn't doesn't want to see you go backwards. He wants to see you go forwards. He says, how do you turn again to bondage? That's a, a, a great place of fear in the pastor's heart, that you would turn back to the bondage of, of sin, of, of self-deception. Bondage is a word to be a slave, um, to be subservient to. And then you see that word afraid. 
he's afraid. It literally says, brethren, I beseech you, uh, be as I am. No, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Uh, verse 9, um, after ye known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid. He said, I am afraid. Afraid is a word that means to frighten, to be alarmed, exceedingly in terror. Why is he afraid? That his labor would be in vain. Labor is a word that means to feel fatigue, to be wearied by toil. As a pastor, I can tell you that preparing messages, specifically understanding that I'm going to give an account for every word that I say, preparing messages for people that God loves is an incredibly wearying endeavor. I tell folks here, and I'm telling you, for every hour of outgo, there's about six, seven, five to six, maybe seven, eight hours of intake. Folks, you can't stand up behind the sacred desk that the Lord preaches from. You can't stand behind a pulpit in the flesh. You have to do it with the Spirit of God guiding every word that you say or it's absolute nonsense. And that is tiring. There's not a message I've ever preached where people aren't on my mind. They're very much on my mind. When I'm just studying the Word of God and I'm thinking about the people the Lord has entrusted um, to, the, to the oversight of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, their, their advancement, their maturity in Christianity, and their acceptance of the faith, these are things that weigh heavy and a pastor's fear is that he'll carry this and carry it and carry it and carry it and think about it and his joy will be with them and his heart will be with them. And then one day they'll just decide they don't want it. They'll turn around and walk away. Can you imagine, folks, raising, and again I'm using the parent kind of picture here, raising your children, teaching them what's right, endeavoring to give them the best of the things in life, keep them healthy, uh, give them an education, give them wisdom, give them perhaps better things than others can have. And they get to the end of that road, and they look at you and they say, you know what, I can do better. I don't need you. You know what, leave me alone. I'm going to do this myself. Folks, that's a reality for some people. The heartbreak of children turning against their parents, turning against an education that instilled morality and conviction and ethics in them, and they're becoming the opposite of that. That is a pastor's greatest fear, that the labor, the fatigue, the weariness will be in vain. The word vain is a word that simply means the idea of failure without reason and without cause. Folks, I can't tell you how many times I'm, I'm, I'm not as experienced in the ministry as some pastors are. My direct mentor has been in the ministry uh, serving as a, as a pastor of a church since 2006, serving in the role of a pastor since 1991. And before him is, is the pastor that I had as a child who's still very much uh, active in my life. He's been pastoring, st- started a church, filling the role of pastor since 1974. So I, I don't nearly have that experience, but I've watched them. I've watched them love people, and I've watched the people that they loved hurt them for no explainable reason. In fact, I knew the Lord wanted me to be a pastor when I was 16 years old. I didn't fully surrender that, surrender to that until I was 36. 20 years I ran away from this, and it was for that reason. I just didn't want the pain. Now I'm in the pastorate, and I've had people, folks I've given myself to, no one here now, God have mercy, <laughs> no one here now, but I've had people who I've loved, still love them turn and just rip me. And I never, I just, why? 
it, I guess it doesn't matter. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to go down the woe is me road here. I'm just trying to tell you uh, a pastor's greatest fear is in people rejecting God. And I know sometimes it's just, it's just people rejecting him and people rejecting me. And that's fine. You can, I'm nobody special. Uh, You know, you can reject me, but don't reject God. God's worth everything, everything. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 18, the Bible says here, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds. Well, make sure I'm where I should be. I'm going to jump. That's where chapter 1. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 14 says this, um, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. And look what he says there uh, in verse uh, 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Where's the pastor's fear? That everything that he has done for the sake of Christ, by answering for the responsibility that Christ has given him concerning you, would be in vain because you turn and reject the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says this, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. You see here, kind of all three of them. His heart couldn't take it anymore. His joy was questionable, and he he became fearful because he knew in his absence the tempter was after them. The devil was after them, and he he said, I I have to know. Are you you saying yes to the Lord? I have to know. Are you surviving? Has my labor been in vain? Have you turned on the Lord? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2. Galatians chapter two and verse two, the Bible says, "And I went up by revelation and commu- uh, excuse me, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them uh, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run and had run in vain." He says, "My greatest fear is that everything that I put into you, all the work, all the sacrifice, the prayer, the love, you, my joy." that you would turn and say no to the Lord. That's the greatest fear of the pastor. The last verse on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 23 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 23 through 27, the Bible says, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, listen, this this is what it's about. The preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the preaching of the cross to Jesus Christ is foolishness to them that perish, but to them that love God, it is everything. It is the power of God. What is the pastor's fear? That you would take everything that he has poured into ministering to you, that he, you would take the love that God has for you, that in many cases he has shown you through your pastor, and that you would reject it, that you would decide it's, it's not worth it. That's the pastor's fear. 
The pastor's fear is in your failure. His fear is in those who he loves going backwards into the issues that he has wearied his soul and fatigued his body in attempting to prevent. The pastor's fear is in the cause of Christ. The local New Testament Baptist Church will lose ground that has been gained for no reason at all outside of the empty and temporary pleasures of this sinful world. Folks, the pastor's fear is in losing you. The pastor's heart is in keeping you. The pastor's joy is presenting you as twice the man or twice the woman, twice the Christian that he could ever be to the Lord, and his fear is in losing you. This is a pastor's heart. If you are a pastor and this isn't your heart, you need to check yourself out because the people of the Lord are too valuable for you to hold on to self-entitled positions of influence at their dispense. You're wrong for that. If you're a person and you don't have a pastor, let me just share with you my, my deepest prayer for you. The Bible says that God loves you, that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you, that if you've accepted his son as your personal savior, his very next will for your life, the very next step of God's will in your life is for you to be in a church and to have a pastor who, whose heart is with you, whose joy is you, and whose fear is in losing you. That's a pastor. That's a pastor's heart. Thank you so much, folks. I hope that this has been helpful. I hope that this has been, uh, at the very least, educational. <laughs> I do take it uh, not in any way lightly that you would share some time with me. Thank you so much. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City. You can get a hold of me at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H frontbaptistchurch.com, the address and times of our services, as well as my office number and email address are on that website. You can read a little bit about where we're from and what our ministry here is. We thank the Lord for the time that you've been able to spend with us. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and I'll talk to you next time. Father, thank you so much for the time that you've given us to be together. Thank you for the message that you've allowed the Bible to present to us, and I pray that you'd help it now. Father, all we can do is ask that you would allow these things to become real in our lives that would demand of us more than just head knowledge, but actual life application. Action, Father. Action. That's what we would ask that you would give us grace to do, courage to do the things that we know are right. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Teach us how to love you and to walk worthy of the title Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.